You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. I hope you've had a wonderful Christmas holiday, and I wish you, on behalf of all of us here at Judicial Watch, a happy, safe, and wonderful New Year's. I thought it would be good today to talk about, since we're nearing the end of the year, Judicial Watch's most significant anti-corruption fines in 2018. They run the gamut, and I have that for you. But first up, I have some legal updates about our efforts to hold Mueller accountable and are taking on the establishment, this time in Utah, over its efforts to suppress the conservative grassroots. So that's an interesting case. Maybe I'll just start with our Utah case. We filed an amicus brief recently with the Supreme Court with uh, our frequent partners in these enterprises, the Allied Educational Foundation, uh, to uh, take on Utah's efforts to suppress the grassroots. And how is this being done? Now, Utah is a conservative state. But there's an establishment in Utah like there is all over the country, and those of you who are conservative or liberal will be interested in this, because the establishment in both political parties doesn't like the grassroots. They don't like to be told what to do by regular citizens and voters and party activists uh, who put blood, sweat, and tears into the efforts to uh, shape political parties, their, their views on policy, and their candidates. And so in places like Utah, they don't like the idea, for instance, of what had been the typical way of electing candidates or nominating candidates for public office, which was party conventions. And as we highlight uh, in, our, in our freedom of, excuse me, in our amicus brief, uh, the GOP had a, up until recently, a nominating convention or caucus process for putting forward candidates. Until 2014, GOP party members meeting in neighborhood and local caucuses elected delegates to represent them at the party nominating convention, which then selected, selected candidates to appear on the general election ballot. And that changed when the Utah legislature enacted what is called SB 44, uh, 54, uh, which required the Republican Party uh, to uh, conduct primary elections. Now, the establishment hates caucuses. They hate nominating conventions because that means that regular folks can be more involved in selecting candidates than through party primaries where uh, who you know and having a lot of money is the best way uh, to win a primary election. But with caucuses and nominating conventions, grassroots conservatives can have an outsized impact on the uh, potential candidate for office that the party puts forward. Now, the party establishment doesn't like that because it results in too, too much in the way of conservative candidates. And on the Democratic side, I would, I would presume the same ethic is at issue. They don't like uh, liberal activists being able to uh, have an outside influence. And they get candidates they think they aren't, can't win in general elections. Now, uh, so what was the answer? Because the legislature, rather than persuade the fellow party members, hey, we need to change our, the way we select candidates, they use the power of government to suppress their right to association, a constitutional right. And as we highlight, because the Tenth Circuit upheld this challenge uh, to the lower, uh, to the, uh, the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, upheld a challenge to this power grab by the Utah State Legislature. 
We said if allowed to stand, the Tenth Circuit's decision will significantly degrade the associations, associational rights of political parties. The result is contrary to Supreme Court precedent. As the Tenth Circuit majority acknowledged, the Utah legislature, I need to get my glasses here so I can read it, adopted SB 54. Uh, that adopted SB 54 is comprised of overwhelming the Republican majorities in both the State House and the State Senate. In other words, members of the Utah Republican Party who could not convince fellow members to adopt the changes incorporated in SB 54 reconvened as legislators, voted their preferences into law, and in this way compelled their fellow members to accept these changes. The rationale offered for this party coup was remarkably thin. You know, we talk about Alexis de Tocqueville, who's the famous French observer of American political life in the early part of our, uh, early part of our country's history. Uh, as Alexis de Tocqueville discerned almost 180 years ago, free political associations are particularly important in a democratic system like ours, where the tendency is for individuals to go their own separate ways. As he foresaw, governments will tend to view private political associations as enemies and will try to restrict their freedom. And we respectfully submit that the court plays a vital role in defending these institutions from needless government encroachments and intrusions as what is being imposed on the Republican Party in Utah. You know, and as I point out, the, par the power, brokers, power brokers in Utah, Republican, hate these nominating conventions because it's, uh, it allows grassroots conservatives to have an outsized say in uh, the potential nominees to their party. So this is, this, is the, uh, this is the sort of work that I love that Judicial Watch is able to do. We take on the establishment, not only here in Washington, but in states like Utah, uh, that is trying to suppress you, the American people, from uh, being able to express their views at the grassroots. And it just doesn't mean, it doesn't mean necessarily that it's the federal government doing this. It doesn't mean that it's liberals doing this. My guess is all the Republicans who voted for this in Utah are very conservative. But remember, they, they've got these institutional issues where they don't want regular voters uh, upending the system there and, and influencing the system in a way they don't like. And thankfully, the Constitution protects the rights of political parties, which is not necessarily, you know, people hear political parties and they think corruption. No, political parties are an example of America, great Americans, uh, the, the greatness of our constitutional system which allows you to gather together with other Americans as, as, a, as, you, as a fundamental right to freedom of association to come up with a system of government or a system of, of, of allowing candidates to prosper. That's what political parties are about. They allow you to affect your values through a freedom of association to get candidates of your choice into elected office. And as we point out, the big government, the establishment hates vibrant political parties. That's why the left doesn't quite like, doesn't like uh, political fundraising. And these good government types don't like political fundraising because that allows political parties to prosper. They don't like money being spent outside the government. So when you see suppression of political fundraising, when you see suppression of political parties and the vibrancy of political parties, when you see suppression of political parties being able to appear on ballots where 
you certain you have certain uh, uh, states where they have uh, no, no uh, political party affiliations listed on the ballots. That's that goes against the American grain and it goes against our constitutional system, in my view. So uh, the Supreme Court's considering this. We hope it takes it up, and so that's what Judicial Watch does. We highlight these specific government corruption issues, these suppression issues, and uh, we'll see what happens with the Supreme Court. Will they take the side of uh, the Constitution or will they take the side of the political establishment in Utah? We'll see. So the other big issue, obviously, in town, other than the shutdown, which I'll talk about in a few minutes, is uh, the Robert Mueller investigation, which is continuing to harass President Trump. It is largely unchecked by both the Justice Department and by Congress, and it is now the, uh, as I pointed out on Fox News earlier this week, the uh, vehicle for the impeachment fantasies of the Democrats. They see the Mueller investigation as a vehicle for impeachment, and I guarantee you the Mueller operation sees itself as a vehicle for impeachment for President Trump. Not that I think there's anything to impeach President Trump over, uh, but this is, this is what the game is, this is the game that's afoot here in Washington, D.C. these days. And one of the concerns I have is the unchecked nature of what Mueller's up to. It's one of the biggest operations in the Justice Department right now, yet the budget is virtually unlimited. We can't get the planned budget. We sued for, and they won't give us their proposed budget for Mueller. We only get after-the-fact reports of what he spent, and I think it's now up to $25 million. Congress is afraid to take on Mueller. You, why hasn't Mueller been called to testify to Congress? There's been lots of controversies about what he's been up to. Uh, the Peter Strzok, the FBI agent who was the anti-Trumper, who was on his team but was removed, what was he involved in in the Mueller operation? Why isn't he being asked, for instance, about his failure to hire uh, Republicans on his team or, frankly, anyone who's, who's even a Republican donor on his team? I think there may be one or two people who've given to Republicans in the past on his team. But it's largely a Democrat, a partisan operation targeting President Trump. No one's asking him any questions in Congress. Mueller is above oversight in this in this decrepit town, but he's not above the law. And what Judicial Watch is able to do is try to use the Freedom of Information Act to get access to information about what he's up to. And to that end, we have sued for records about the cost of his security detail. Now, if Mr. Mueller needs security, I don't begrudge him security. But this is one of the hidden costs of this gargantuan operation that the American people have a right to see. And the fact that we can't get basic information about the cost of his security tells you just how to, out of control either the Mueller operation is or the Justice Department is. And as I've said it, uh, I've said it before, is that Mueller is, a, is the tail wagging the Justice Department dog. All of this cover-up and secrecy with the FISA courts and uh, text messages, you name it, that's all designed to protect the Mueller operation. And Judicial Watch is now the only game in town when it comes to holding Robert Mueller accountable to the law. Because we're in court under the Freedom of Information Act demanding answers from him. We are uh, 
have over 30 lawsuits about the genesis of the Mueller investigation and the general conspiracy against President Trump, the deep state conspiracy against President Trump. I mean, the story of 2018, in many ways, is the collapse of the credibility of the Mueller operation with the American people. Because, as I pointed out, with the corruption around the FBI agents behind him, the anti-Trump FBI agents that's been exposed, uh, the, uh, the, the crazy targeting of anything but Russia by his team. We talked about the corruption of the General Flynn prosecution. We've talked about the raid on the president's lawyers' offices. You know, all of these outrageous acts, the deletion of text messages by the Mueller special counsel, his secret budget. Where's the accountability? Well, Judicial Watch is in court trying to get accountability. We just filed another Freedom of Information Act lawsuit. And before I go into the top stories of 2018, the shutdown continues over the border wall. And let me just say this. You need to call your members of Congress. You need to call your senators to let them know what you think about the wall. You can call them at 202-224-3121. It's 202-224-3121. Because the Senate is out to lunch on the wall and on border security right now. They are not doing anything. They can be in session right now debating funding for the wall. If the Republican leadership on the Hill wanted a wall, we'd have a wall. But right now, over there on the Hill, they're not doing anything, at least in the Senate. They're pretending to negotiate with President Trump. Who's negotiating? The Democrats who don't control the Senate are negotiating. And if you want a compromise, if you want the government to reopen and you want a border wall, the Republican leadership should have the Senate in session and have senators on the floor debating a compromise. Instead, they want to do this this closed-door, behind-the-scenes effort, do nothing, increasing pressure on the president to cave in. So you'll hear the Republicans blame the Democrats, but it's the Republican leadership that has set this up. They set this up, they have this last-minute gargantuan spending measure at the end of the year, and they tell the president to take it or leave it. Oh no, and you can't have your priorities like like funding the wall, or Lord forbid, defunding Planned Parenthood, another priority of conservatives. Or other things that people want, like maybe even ending Obamacare. We can't do that. You have to keep on funding government. Because it's Christmas and we can't shut the government down. And of course, the, the president uh, turned over the table, rhetorically speaking, there, by saying, no, I want the wall. And we'll see if he sticks to his guns. Uh, but I tell you, the Senate won't do anything unless they hear from voters. And they're relying on the Christmas break and the holiday to distract you from letting Letting, uh, letting them know what you think. So you need to call your senators and let them know what you think about their failure to address the crisis on the border, because there's a crisis on the border. The media won't report on it, but you know from Judicial Watch the crisis is there. Virtually anyone who wants to can get across the border. Sure, some are caught and turned aside or caught um, or actually just turn themselves in, claim asylum, and are let go. 
by the hundreds, it looks like, in El Paso, Texas, where ICE is just releasing hundreds of illegal aliens onto the streets. And if I were the president, if he doesn't get a wall, he should deploy the border. He should, he should, he should deploy the military to defend our border. And if the feds won't do it, the National Guards of the state should do it. The Constitution allows the states to defend themselves against invasion, and that's an invasion that's going on in the border, in the border area right now. I mean, you won't hear this sort of talk from your normal politicians here in Washington. That's why we need independent groups like Judicial Watch to tell you the truth about what's going on. The president's instincts generally are right on this, but I guarantee you, everyone around him in the White House is pressing him to sign some sort of compromise that gets a pretend wall put in place, but no effective wall. And the Senate is going to provide him no help unless they hear from you. So you should let your senators know what you think, again, uh, about the border wall. Call your senators at 202-224-3121. You can call them today. You should call them on Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Call them every day. Write them letters. Write letters to your editor of your local newspapers. Post material on Facebook. Get the word out. Encourage others to call their senators as well. You know, you just can't watch Washington and complain about what's going on and say nothing ever happens if you don't, you've got to try to participate in the process. As I always say, you've got to do what you can do. And one of the things you're still allowed to do as an American citizen is petition your government, a God-given constitutional right you have. And if you don't exercise it, I, I frankly don't want to hear your complaints about the way the system works. So this is something you need to do. Judicial Watch sues. We press where we can and educate the American people. But you've got to have a line of communication with your senators and representatives. And even if they don't disagree, even if you think they don't agree with you, you should let them know what you think. Because at least you've done your part in that regard. So uh, 2018 is coming to a close. Can you believe how quickly the year goes by? I've been at Judicial Watch now 20 years. And uh, every year, it seems we uncover more and more in the way of significant government corruption. And uh, Congress, as I point out, isn't doing their work. The media is in bed with the deep state and has an outrageous far-left agenda that doesn't comport with, the, what most, with what most Americans are concerned about, which is an out-of-control, corrupt government. And in the case of this current situation, we have an, a concerted effort by federal government agencies in line with allies in Congress and the media to overthrow the President of the United States. And that's the corruption story of our time. That is the corruption issue of 2018. Uh, and uh, I went through and looked through all of the materials that we've been able to uncover this year in 2018, and I pulled out a few that I thought were of particular importance that it's worth resharing with you who may not have heard about it when we first released the material or reminding you about it. Because a lot of this material is still important, even if it goes back as far as a year ago. So let me start from the beginning. I guess I'll I don't know how I organized all of these. 
got my usual overwhelming amount of paper here to show you everything we've got. Uh, and I'm going to go back to the beginning. And it goes with the Clinton emails. You know, because I've always been convinced the Russia collusion story or the, uh, the get Trump effort has never been about getting Trump. I mean, it is. But it's always been about protecting Hillary Clinton. Because if the Justice Department is spending all of its time harassing President Trump, it's never going to enforce the rule of law against Hillary Clinton. So that leaves it up to groups like Judicial Watch to at least highlight the areas that need to be pursued against Hillary Clinton's Hillary Clinton and her associates. And to that end, Judicial Watch just hasn't stopped. And we found in the beginning of January of 2018, uh, 18, at least 18 classified emails from the Hillary Clinton email server on Anthony Weiner's laptop. 18 classified emails on Anthony Weiner's laptop. Now, you may remember at the end of 2016, they found Anthony Weiner's laptop had a bunch of emails from Hillary Clinton's email server because Yuma Abedin, Anthony Weiner's lap, uh, wife, was a close associate of Hillary Clinton at the State Department and had a secret email account on Hillary Clinton's private email server. Uh, and Abedin was doing all sorts of government business on this server as well. So the FBI, in investigating Anthony Weiner for her uh, sex crimes, uncovered these emails. Now, they tried to suppress them unsuccessfully. And of course, it took Judicial Watch to sue to find out what Hillary Clinton emails and other government emails were on the system. And we found 18 classified emails. So I think that's a pretty big corruption story in 2018, that Hillary Clinton's email server led to classified information being on Anthony Weiner's laptop, including information about discussions about Saudi Arabia, The Hague, Egypt, South Africa, Zimbabwe, the identity of a CIA official, the war in Syria, Lebanon, Hamas, and the PLO. That's the type of classified information that was on the Wiener laptop. That it was the Judicial Watch disclosed the details of that to you, not Congress, not the media. So uh, that, was a big, that was a big 2018 corruption story. Also in January of 2018, we uncovered that there was another dossier, and it was created by the State Department targeting Donald Trump, and they leaked it to Senator Cardin, who's a Democrat from Maryland, Senator, in the last days before Trump came into power. There was a mayor that we were following up on a May 2000, excuse me, a March 2017 report that said that Cardin received classified information about Russia's involvement in elections when the Obama administration was attempting to disseminate the material widely across the government in order to aid future investigations. Obama officials were concerned, according to the report in the New York Times, that the Trump administration would cover up intelligence once power changed hands. So this is what the uh, Obama gang was doing. They were leaking and disseminating illicitly classified information, both inside and outside of government, it looks like, because they didn't trust Trump. And they were trying to destroy President Trump. So they had a dossier of Russia intelligence information that they thought was important to get into Cardin's hands so that it could be disseminated and leaked. I guarantee, you know, A, it was an illicit leak to begin with because it wasn't sent in the public interest to Cardin. 
It was sent for political purposes to Cardin. So that was an illicit mishandling of classified information there. And again, it shows you that the dossier that Hillary Clinton bought and paid for was only one of the dossiers that was created by the Obama gang to target Donald Trump. It was all hands on deck. They had the State Department trying to get out dirt on Donald Trump. And interestingly, the documents showed that it wasn't just the Russians uh, targeting the United States that was at issue. Uh, the Russians were in interfering in elections in all over Western Europe. Of course, that, that's, not real, that's rarely talked about because that undermines the narrative that they were just trying to elect Trump, which the intelligence doesn't show they were actually trying to do, despite what you hear about it. It's very vague on that. They were messing in elections all over the world. So that's another major corruption find uncovered by your judicial watch. Now, the other group of documents that we were able to uncover uh, are about the FISA warrants. And these are, this is, this is pretty darn important. I've got four releases here, and I'm going to give you the headlines. Judicial Watch obtains Carter Page FISA court documents, the FISA warrants. FBI records show Dossier author deemed not suitable for use as a source shows several FBI payments in 2016. Excuse me, I got three, not four. Justice Department discloses no FISA court hearings held on Carter Page FISA, Carter Page FISA warrants. So the first big, the first big fine, and um, others had sued for these records too, but it was Judicial Watch's FOIA lawsuit, I think, that led to the disclosure ultimately, were the four FISA warrant applications targeting Carter Page, and it was really targeting Donald Trump, that Judicial Watch was able to force out finally as a result of our Freedom of Information Act lawsuits. And the documents show that um, these FISA warrants show that the dossier was the basis largely for the FISA warrants. The true basis of the dossier was not disclosed to the courts in the sense that it was not, the courts were not told that the um, uh, the, the dossier was bought and paid for by the Clinton campaign. The courts were not told that the dossier was only minimally corroborated. They really couldn't find anything to back it up. The courts were not told, and it was dis and it was they were dishonestly told. For actually, they were dishonestly told that there were other pieces of information that warranted a, warranted a FISA warrant. And one of those pieces of information was a newspaper article that was actually based on the dossier. So they made it seem like it was a separate piece of information. And they also talked about, again, the State Department having intelligence, which was also based on the dossier, which was not disclosed to the court. So as I've said before, the court was essentially told, uh, here, we've got this dossier, and there are other reasons uh, for pushing a FISA warrant, but those other reasons were just the dossier. It's like saying, well, who'd you hear it from? And, they, and the response was, me, myself, and I. This FISA warrant was a self-licking ice cream cone. Look, we've got the dossier, a story about the dossier, and a State Department report about the dossier. That's three. No, that's one. And it's a dishonest one as it is. 
And it was Judicial Watch that uncovered this. And I have to thank President Trump for getting these documents out because he declassified key documents that led to this declassification. And this is why he needs to declassify the rest of the FISA warrants. The rest of the FISA warrants. Uh, or FISA warrant information in here because as you can see, a lot of it's still declassified. And according to those like Devin Nunes and Bob Goodlatte, the Judiciary Committee who've seen them, that there's the materials just as bad as the dossier, the dodgy dossier. Again, these are four FISA warrants signed by um, f- four different judges. One signed by Lore- uh, uh, Sally Yates. One signed by... Well, James Comey, one was signed by Rod Rosenstein. Rod Rosenstein. Yes. The president's appointee in April 2017 signed on to one of these dishonest, fraudulent FISA warrants. And it was used, um, wait, it wasn't, uh, what was the date? No, it was June of 2017. So it was after Mueller had been appointed. So it was. This, so the dossier was. Uh, there was a FISA warrant created on this dodgy dossier on behalf of Robert Mueller's operation. So Mueller's been compromised by it as well. And again, it's Judicial Watch that got the information out there. And uh, we also found out, and that was a big, big first time FISA warrants have ever been released in the history of the court. So the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act created Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Courts, and the underlying warrant applications have never been released before. But it was Judicial Watch's FOIAs that uncovered these corrupt FISA warrants. Uh, And on top of this, we found something else. Now, you know, the FISA courts, we're told, are very secretive, and they don't worry, uh, because these secret FISA warrants are granted in secret, the courts there, although they're protected, are, are there to protect us from abuses. Well, it turned out, because Judicial Watch had forced the issue, we had uh, did FOIAs and other requests to the court to figure out what was going on, that there were no FISA court hearings on the Carter Page warrants. So all this, this, this garbage application that was given to the courts was rubber stamped by the courts, decided on the papers. Now that's pretty extraordinary. Now the government tells us and defenders of this corrupt process tell us, well, it's not unusual for the FISA courts not to have, to, to have um, no hearings. It's not unusual for no hearings to take place. Well, A, that's not true, because I think it takes place about half the time. And B, it ought to be important, it ought to be concerning that the courts are not holding hearings on FISA warrants that are implicating the incoming president and then president of the United States. So it was Judicial Watch that uncovered the fact that not only was the FISA warrant process corrupted by dishonest bureaucrats in the James Comey uh, FBI, Obama DOJ, and unfortunately the Trump DOJ, Rod Rosenstein, but the courts couldn't be bothered to ask any additional questions, at least in the hearing process. 
So again, that's Judicial Watch uncovering this. Another major corruption find in 2018 by Judicial Watch. And the other big find is, of course, Robert uh, Christopher Steele, the UK former spy. I don't know if he's so if he's former, but he was hired through Fusion GPS through a cutout law firm of Hillary Clinton's campaign in the Democratic National Committee operation to uh, dig up dirt on President or incoming uh, or then candidate Trump. And he came up with this dossier that was full of false information that Steele or Fusion GPS says they got from Russia intelligence sources in part. So you had the Clinton people working with Russia intelligence sources through Fusion GPS to try to take down President Trump or then candidate Trump. Steele just admitted recently in a court deposition in, I forget what the case was, that the reason he was doing this work was so that Hillary Clinton could challenge Trump's legitimacy if he ran, if he won. Sounds like the insurance policy that Peter Strzok talked about in his text messages, doesn't it? And it was Judicial Watch that uncovered the FBI communications with Christopher Steele in 2016. So not only was Steele working for Clinton, he was working with the Obama FBI, James Comey FBI. They met with him 13 times, 11 of the times they paid him money. And then towards the end of 2016, they deemed him not suitable as a source. And they said, we're not going to use him anymore because he was leaking information to the media. Yet they continued to use him indirectly through Bruce Orr, whose wife also worked for Fusion TPS and worked with Christopher Steele, Bruce Orr, the DOJ official. So FBI said, we don't use Steele. Then Orr works with Steele and launders his information back into the FBI after the fact. Outrageous corruption. This is the basis for the Mueller operation that's supposed to be investigating Trump. The President of the United States is being harassed by a corrupted law enforcement investigation that from its very start was corrupted. And it was Judicial Watch that uncovered money from the FBI, really partnerships with Clinton going after Trump with these crazy FISA warrants and other illegal surveillance of the Trump operation. They were taking up phone records, you name it. Don't forget about the unmaskings. Don't forget about the classified leaks. Again, this is Judicial Watch that uncovered this. Not Congress, not the media. So what else did we uncover this year that's important? Oh yes, the IRS. Now, Senator John McCain, God rest his soul, was implicated in the the major IRS scandal under the Obama administration. We uncovered documents revealing that McCain's subcommittee staff director urged the IRS to engage in, quote, financially ruinous targeting. His staff director, Henry Kerner, met with Lois Lerner and other IRS officials about the solution to the 501c4 issue. Because, you know, the big government left, and people like McCain, hated independent government entity, uh, independent political entities participating in our nation's public policy uh, discussions. So they were targeting these C4 groups, Tea Party groups, it turned out later. So they had this big meeting with uh, 
uh, McCain was in the minority at the time, so his staff director and chief counsel was there for his uh, permanent subcommittee, Henry Kerner, and uh, with the IRS employees and Carl Evans people who was running uh, the committee at the time. Carl Evans is a Democrat from Michigan. And this is what Kerner uh, told Lois Lerner and other IRS top officials because they were talking about the inability for them to regulate or audit C4 groups in an effective way to suppress them, evidently. He suggested he ought, they audit, quote, quote, audit so many that it becomes financially ruinous. Now, this, this meeting took place in April of 2013, a few weeks before the IRS scandal came out. So it shows you the IRS scandal was bipartisan in the sense that McCain was involved also in pushing for financially ruinous audits. Now, McCain says he complained about the IRS scandal once it became public. But he was encouraging the IRS through his staff director to engage in misconduct. Now, Henry Kerner, this person who's implicated in these documents, was appointed by President Trump as special counsel to the United States Office of Special Counsel. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So this man now is in charge of making sure that uh, government officials in the executive branch don't misuse their offices for political reasons. That's essentially what the special counsel does. They uh, enforce the Hatch Act. They conduct Hatch Act investigations. The Hatch Act is a federal law that prohibits federal employees from uh, using their offices for political purposes or participating in politics in an illegal way. So that's Henry Kerner, and that's John McCain's legacy, uh, the uh, Lerner IRS scandal in part. And that was, again, uncovered by Judicial Watch in 2018, and not the media and not Congress. Also, we uncovered, and just generally speaking, additional classified materials in the emails that Hillary Clinton tried to, to delete or otherwise hide from the American people. Dozens of emails. DOJ is AWOL on that, but Judicial Watch keeps on doing the hard work on behalf of you, the American people, to expose that misconduct. And maybe the Justice Department will finally get its act together, but in the meantime, we'll just do the work. We've been granted discovery just recently into the Hillary Clinton email issue. We're fighting the Justice Department outrageously now on it. Can you believe it? The Justice Department doesn't want us asking questions of Hillary Clinton or anyone else about her email scandal. Well, I think they agreed to maybe two witnesses of the 25 we want to question. But this is the sort of fights that we're in. So, I mean, you can see we are getting, uh, we get documents, we are successful in holding the government to account. Now, I know it's frustrating uh, to see misconduct continue, and I know people want to see people go to jail, but that's not the way the system works. Judicial Watch can't prosecute people. But the information is out there that the government has no longer has excuses not to act. And our chief goal as Judicial Watch, as an educational foundation, is to educate you about what's going on. So we've had remarkable success in 2018, and it's thanks to you and hundreds of thousands of other active Judicial Watch supporters who financially support our work. I can't do it by myself. 
We do it with your support. We've got a great staff of attorneys and investigators here in Judicial Watch that help us accomplish our goals to uncover what the government's up to and hold the government to account. Over the next year, we've got election integrity cases coming up. We've got all of these fights for FISA warrant information and the deep state attack on Trump. We have a case against San Francisco over its sanctuary policy. We're highlighting the corruption surrounding the government funding of the Soros operations. I should have gotten that out for 2018. So Judicial Watch is going to keep on powering forward on behalf of you, the American people. So I want you to have a wonderful new year. I think 2019 is going to be an important year in terms of battling the Mueller operations, harassing investigation of Donald Trump and the related impeachment abuses that we can expect out of the House. And Judicial Watch, again, is going to be front and center on behalf of the rule of law and our wonderful Constitution. So thank you and have a wonderful New Year's holiday. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.